You know, our world struggles with something. Our world struggles with insecurity. People around us struggle with insecurity. How many of you have ever worked with, been around, or maybe been in a relationship with somebody who is insecure? You ever experienced that? If the person sitting next to you didn't raise their hand, they're probably the insecure person that you're talking to. No, I'm teasing, all right? It, we all know people that are insecure. Maybe you struggle with insecurity. We, I believe that all people struggle with insecurity to some degree or another. We, we all feel insecure about how we look, about what we do, about how much we have, about our past, about our future. We struggle with insecurity. Insecurity is um, an uncertainty or an anxiety about yourself. Insecurity is a lack of confidence in yourself. It's, it's feeling like you are um, um, not stable. It's an instability about yourself. It's feeling vulnerable. It's feeling inferior in some way. Do you know when you search insecurity on Google, I did it this week, you are given 108 million responses to that search. And that should tell you something. That shows you how insecurity affects a lot of people. I would almost say that it affects everyone to some degree or another. Psycholive.org tells us that we are called a narcissistic generation. We are told that technology and social media are giving us an inflated sense of self. But most of us don't walk around feeling like we are all that great. In fact, there is one underlying emotion that overwhelmingly shapes our self-image and influences our behavior. And that is, say it with me, insecurity. Every person in the world has something he or she is insecure about. Insecure affects us in countless areas in our lives. Thriveglobal.com says there's little more distressful in our day-to-day life than our own insecurities. Like a pebble in the, sh- in the shoe, it wears on you every single day. We can feel insecure about almost anything, but no matter what our insecurity is, the underlying message is always the same. On some level, we are not good enough. Our insecurity is a constant reminder that we are lacking in a fundamental way. And then psychology today, uh, Melanie Greenberg, she, she wrote this, most of us feel insecure sometimes, but some of us feel insecure most of the time. Hmm. See, to some degree or another, on some level or another, there isn't a single person who doesn't struggle with insecurity. And why is that? Why, why do we feel insecure? Why do we face insecurity in our lives? Can I give you my opinion on this? It's, it's based on a scripture that, that I want us to take a look at very briefly today. Um, I believe we struggle with insecurity because of sin's effect. I believe that we live in a broken world as broken people because of sin. And I get this idea from the Bible. Way back in the beginning, you guys know this story, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created man. Take a look at Genesis 2. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, "You uh, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, 
It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the the Lord God took out one of man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no, what's that word? Shame. They felt no shame. They were unclothed, but they felt no shame. Isn't it interesting that, that man and woman were naked, but they felt no shame? I think it's because they had no insecurity. Hmm. But notice what happens when sin enters the picture. One day the serpent asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment... Their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt, what is that word? Shame. At their, what? Nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They covered themselves because they had shame. They felt shame. Remember this. They covered themselves because they felt shame. What is that? It's insecurity. You see it? It's, it's right there. Keep reading. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And the man replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Isn't that interesting? It's shame. It's insecurity. And notice what God asks him. Who told you that you were naked? Basically, God is saying, who told you that you're not okay the way you are? Do you see it? What is that? It's insecurity. Wow. Insecurity affects our thoughts, our actions, our lifestyles. Insecurity affects our relationships, our jobs, our futures. And God knows all of this. He he knows that insecurity affects us in so many different ways. And do you know that he has already done something to help us? That's the cool thing about God. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, and I don't have it on your outline, but Jesus said in Matthew 6, your heavenly father already knows your needs. And for all of us in this room that struggle with insecurity in one way or another, to one degree or another, God already knows that and he has provided a way to deal with our insecurity. So today as we wrap off this series about the Holy Spirit, we're going to see how God is wanting to provide security into our lives. Let's pray. Father, open up our hearts to your word today. We want to learn from you. We want to change today. We are ready to experience everything that you have for us. And so we ask that you would teach us about the Holy Spirit, but more importantly than that, that you would teach us about your promise today. 
We pray this in your name. Everybody said, amen. I've got to tell you, throughout this series, more than ever before, the thing I've noticed is how much emphasis the Apostle Paul puts on the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit in this series now for nine weeks, and, and Paul just repeatedly throughout his letters, throughout his writings, even throughout the book of Acts, um, really a narrative live account of what Paul went through, we see this emphasis. Paul started out as a Pharisee, as a Jewish religious leader. We've talked about that. And he was making his name, a name for himself, as a hardcore persecutor of followers of Jesus. He was after them. He was on their trail. And then one day, on mission to a city called Damascus, Paul encountered Jesus in a vision. And as part of really the most defining moment of his life, he talks about this in Galatians, that after being blind for three days, God begins to speak to him through a guy named Ananias. Take a look at Acts 9. And Ananias laid his hands on Saul, and he said, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you, has sent me so that you may regain your sight, and notice this, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul was radically converted to, to uh, become a follower of Jesus himself. He gave up everything, and he then became a missionary to the non-Jewish people, really, who lived all over the Roman Empire. He was telling them about Jesus. Um, he wanted them to experience the work of the Holy Spirit as he had experienced it in his life. And so he comes to this city called Ephesus. And we see this encounter that he has. He comes across several Jesus followers in the city of Ephesus. And I want you to notice the question that he asked them. Paul traveled until he reached Ephesus where he found several believers. And this is what he asked. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Isn't that interesting? Now keep in mind, they're already followers of Jesus. So he's talking about a secondary experience. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And notice what they say. No, no. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Wow, I wonder how many people, even how many Jesus followers, could be in that same category. So Paul goes on to tell them, and then he prays for them, and they experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about several weeks ago. And later then, Paul writes a letter to this same group of people in the city of Ephesus, it's called the letter of Ephesians in the New Testament. And this is what he writes in Ephesians 1. Take a look. This letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. All praise to God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance. Wow. An inheritance from God. For he chose us and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Paul says, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's guarantee. Say that word with me. Guarantee. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. I love that last verse. I love that. The Holy Spirit has, is God's guarantee that he will give us what he promised and that he has made us his own. This same idea 
is found in another letter that Paul writes to Jesus' followers in the city of Corinth. And you've heard me say here at Pathway many times, when you see something, a theme, especially a theme repeated, or maybe even a word or a thought repeated in Scripture, I believe it's God trying to get something across, and he's saying it again. I don't know if you grew up with parents, or maybe you are parents, who repeat your things to your children. You know, I told you, clean up your room. I said, clean up your room. How many of you know that when the repeat comes, there's usually some emphasis to it, right? The parent is trying to tell the child something, and now they are re-emphasizing that a little bit stronger, trying to get the child to respond. I believe that in Scripture, that's the way God, our Heavenly Father, does to us. It's when he says something the first time, it may not grab us, but for me, when I read through Scripture and I see it repeated a second time, almost word for word, hmm, I think God's trying to tell me something. This is what we find when Paul writes to the, to the Jesus followers in the city of Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at this. God has identified us as his own. Notice that. He's, that's what he talked about in the Ephesians letter, remember? He has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that what? Guarantees. There's that word again guarantees everything he has promised. I want you to circle that word guarantee. It's a really interesting word. It comes from a Greek word that only Paul uses in the New Testament. So this is a Paul word. This is a word that only he uses. And guess what? He uses it three times, only three times in the New Testament. And he is using it every time to communicate something very, very specific. The Greek word that Paul uses for guarantee, that word guarantee, is eraborn. I'm sorry, erebone. There we go. I'll say it right. Erebone. And, and what it means is the, the, a deposit or a down payment. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that. When you bought a car, you bought a home, something large, you give a down payment or a deposit. And what you're doing is you're guaranteeing that you will pay the balance. It's a pledge that the rest will be given or paid. Um, here's the thing, and this is what I want us to catch. God loves us so much that this is what he does. He, he promises by a deposit to make full payment. He gives a down payment of the Holy Spirit into our lives. He promises through the Spirit of God, he guarantees that things will happen in our lives. And I love that. By, by giving the Holy Spirit, God basically says he's going to give us everything that he promises. I don't know if you caught the songs that we were singing today, but that's what those songs talk about. That God will come through, that he is faithful. And everything that he promises us, he will give us. Now, now for me, this reminds me of another kind of down payment or another kind of deposit. And we don't really see it as this, but it is. Um, we don't see it this way because it's in a relational area, dealing with relationships and not so much dealing with property or a purchase. But for me, in, in, as being as a pastor and officiating weddings, I kind of see it in this light, this Greek word Paul uses as guarantee. Erebone actually can refer to, and this is beautiful, it can mean engagement ring. 
How many of you got a ring on your chair today when you came in? You got a little engagement ring? This is for you to take home to be a reminder of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be in our lives. The Holy Spirit is given as an engagement ring. God is promising to you and promising to me that he is faithful, that he is going to come through with the promises that he has made in your life. In fact, here's the crazy thing. In modern Greek, even today, this word erebona means engagement ring. So this is exactly the word that Paul is using. And we know what an engagement ring means, right? It means that two people are promising to each other or pledging to each other that they're going to have a future together, that they're going to, they're going to get married. I think this is what Paul is communicating. And this is what I want us to catch. I've had this message for weeks Early on, I felt like God gave me these two passages of Scripture, and, and I would come to the week ready to prep it, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, wait a week. So I'd wait a week, and I taught something else. And I'm like, all right, here we go. We're going to go with Ephesians and, and Corinthians, and the Holy Spirit, no, wait a week. So I taught something else. I've been doing that five weeks in a row, and here we are on the last week, and I said, okay, God, is it time? Do you want me to teach it now? And he goes, it's time. And so here we are talking about Paul communicating this idea of um, this promise of love that God is giving us through the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is Paul uses this kind of language. He connects our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus, several different times with the idea of marriage. I mean, you may be familiar with Ephesians 5. Take a look at what Paul writes in Ephesians 5. He says, as the scriptures say... A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united as one. What's he talking about there? Marriage. In fact, we've used this scripture in marriage ceremonies before. And look at what Paul says in verse 32. This is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Wow. So so he's connecting the idea of marriage with our relationship with Jesus. But this isn't an original Paul idea. That's the thing I want you to understand. He kind of stole this from the New Testament. Throughout, I'm sorry, the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, this was an idea that was prevalent in the prophets' writings. Jeremiah speaks of this. Um, Isaiah speaks of this. Take a look, for instance, of what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah said, he's speaking for God, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Boy, that connects us now with Genesis, doesn't it? You will, no longer, you will no longer live in insecurity. You'll no longer live in shame. For your maker is your, say it with me, husband. Wow. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. And of, and of, all, of, of all the ideas that, that this pushes for, I was just thinking, I thought of another one here. This idea of him being our redeemer, you could turn to the story of Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz became the husband to Ruth, and he was her redeemer. I mean, there's so many connections of our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus, and it being symbolized by marriage. And then it all comes down to the end of time. And you guys know probably this part, but when Jesus comes back, he comes back, guess what? As a groom. It's very clear that that the church is his bride, 
We who are Jesus followers become the bride of Christ, what we're called in Scripture. And Jesus comes back as a groom, and we who are followers of of Christ in the church as his bride will gather together. And the Apostle John says this in Revelation. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. Wow. Do you see all of these connections? It's really clear. And so let me remind you, Paul writes this in Ephesians 1. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, God has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our lives as the first installment that guarantees our abode everything he has promised. And so with these little engagement rings, we are reminded, through Paul's writings, we are reminded that the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring. Wow. God is giving us an engagement ring to guarantee what he wants to do in our lives. Now, girls, when a guy says to you, listen to me, single girls in the room, when a guy says to you, I love you, baby. Do not believe him until what? Come on, what? Put a ring on it, right? I mean, you know, you know the song, right? I mean, come on. You, you, you put a ring on it, and then I'm going to believe you. you. Yeah, there you go. Aaron's doing it back there, right? Okay, you know we, we know, we all know this. His words of love, his promises, they don't mean squat until he proves it. With a ring, that's an investment. That is a a commitment to you. That's what that represents. When he puts a ring on your finger, he is saying, I love you, and I want to share a future with you. And this points us to the two truths that I want to give you today before we get out of here and go to Chipotle together. Two truths about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. What does the Holy Spirit guarantee? Write this down in your outline. The Holy Spirit guarantees God's love for me. The Holy Spirit guarantees God's love for me. How do I know this? Paul, he writes again in Romans. He's writing to the Jesus followers who live in Rome. And and he explains this way better than I could ever teach it, so I just want to read the, the scripture to you. Look what he says. We know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Isn't that beautiful? Why was the Holy Spirit given? I mean, people will ask you this. Why was the Holy Spirit given? Sometimes people struggle with the idea, the concept of the Holy Spirit. I tell you what to do. Take them to Romans 5.5. Just take them to Romans 5.5. You want to know why the Holy Spirit was given? Because God wants you to know that he loves you. God is making a promise of love, a commitment of love. He's wanting to put that engagement ring on your finger. I think this is one of the greatest statements of God's love found in the entire New Testament I mean, this to me ranks up there with John 3.16. You probably know that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It ranks up there with Romans 8.38 that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. 
It, it ranks up there. I want you to circle something that grabbed me about Romans 5.5, 5, though. Circle the two words, to fill, to fill. And so I want us to read this again. We know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Let's say it again with me. To fill our hearts. Do, do, do you see the tense in this? It's, it's not something that's already happened as much as it's something that is happening. Everybody follow me on that? It's a current. It's a progressive. It's ongoing. The Holy Spirit continues to fill your heart with God's love. I, was, I, I don't have time to go into all of this, but I was thinking, man, that alone could make a series. I mean, think, think about this idea of the Holy Spirit continually pouring God's love into your life and then where that love can go from us. I mean, it, it says in Scripture, we love because he first loved us. So, so him pouring love into my life then gives me the ability to love somebody else. You, you follow that? It's the Holy Spirit's ongoing action. He's continually filling us with the Holy Spirit in those moments when we need it most, in those moments when we're struggling. The Holy Spirit moves. He's giving us a continual source. It's, it's, a continual, um, it's the continual words of God saying, I love you. I love you. You know, um, I don't know about you guys, but in our marriage, Didi and my, our marriage, 34 years now, um, sometimes we get under each other's skin a little bit. Do you ever do that if you're a married person? And um, there are times when we irritate each other and we get to a point where it's not an argument, but it's just, it's, it's, it's not easy. Married couples in the room, you know what I'm talking about? It just, okay, there's a little tension here. And you know what I've discovered I've discovered that there's something about those words, I love you. Now, I know that it doesn't resolve the issue. I know that it doesn't fix the problem. I still may be mad at what she did, right? But when my wife comes up close to me and says to me, I love you. Even though you're a jerk, I love you. You know, that kind of thing. I love you. There's something about those words changes things. And, and so often, I think we need to understand, God loves us, but doesn't mean that he's always going to fix what we're facing, but he promises to be with us as we face it. And, and I want us to understand that God, he sends his Holy Spirit into our lives to be that continual reminder that he loves us. No matter what we're facing, doesn't matter what we feel, doesn't matter what we see, God loves us. Wow. In those moments when we need it most, when we need to know that God loves us, it's enough sometimes. Get this one down. The Holy Spirit guarantees my future with God. My future with God. 
2 Corinthians 5 is a passage um, that I have used, I can't tell you how many times, in funeral services. So so it's kind of funny. We're using passages that I've used in weddings, and now we're using passages that I've used in in funeral services. I want you to follow Paul's thoughts here because this is going to tie us together with the idea of my future with God. Take a look at what he says. Paul says, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, in parentheses, he says, that is when we die and leave this earthly body. So turn to the person next to you and tell them, all I see is your tent. Okay, just tell them. That sounds weird, but that's true. That's what Paul is saying. You know, some of you are a pup tent. Some of you are a family tent. Some of you are whatever, but all I see is your tent, right? He says, when this tent is taken down, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house, in heaven. I think that's an upgrade, right? I, I see it as that. It's, I mean, we go from a tent to a house in heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Keep following with me. We grow weary in our present bodies. <laughs> Let's read that again for all the older people in the room. We grow weary in our present bodies, right? That's like, that should be a verse that we just, you know. Okay, we grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies. It's not that we want to die. Look what Paul says. It's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Don't you love that? The New Living Translation really gives it. Swallowed up by life. Catch this last line here. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a, there's our word. Guarantee, Arabon, guarantee he has given us the Holy Spirit. Wow. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, not only to tell us about God's love for us, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to be a guarantee for our future with God. That he comes alongside us and he keeps telling us, this is not, this is not the end. This is just the beginning of what God is wanting to do. Rick Warren likes to say that life is like preschool, that we haven't even hit school yet. Okay? Now, some of you that don't like school, that's probably not a good analogy, but, but he says we're just learning, and once we hit eternity, that's when it's going to be real. And I thought, wow, what a great way of thinking about what God has for us in our future. And we live in this reality, and we think that this is all there is. And so when this reality stinks, we think that everything stinks. Sorry, doesn't mean that you stink, but you know what I'm saying. This, we feel that way. We, we think that everything is falling apart if this reality is falling apart. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and says, but this isn't, this isn't all of it right here. I have more for you than this. I tried to find it and I couldn't find it, but I've heard, I believe John Piper told this story, but I heard a story that truly happened. <laughs> I wish I could have my source on this, but truly happened with two missionaries. And it was years ago. If you find it, if you go online and you find it, let me know who it was. But I remember hearing a story about these two missionaries that were returning home from serving overseas for decades, that they had given their life. And I believe it was in Africa or somewhere like that. And they were on board a ship. And they, and they came in, they sailed, and this was back in the day, and they came in, they sailed into the, the port, and they were getting ready to come off the ship, and they saw 
this, this band and all of these people there cheering and it said, welcome home on this big banner. And, and he looks, this old missionary looks at his wife and he goes, honey, they didn't forget us. They're here to welcome us home. And so they, they get ready to go off the gangplank and right before them is some military that had returned from battle. And they were welcomed by this huge crowd and the music played and the people left. And here's this old missionary couple on, on the dock with their suitcase. And he says to his wife, nobody knows. Nobody cares that we've come home. And she says to him, but we're not home yet. Do you get that? See, we think that life is it. But this is just the beginning. We're not home yet. This is just a tent. God is building us, preparing us a home. And the Holy Spirit comes along and tells us, you're not done yet. This isn't it. This isn't all there is. God has more for you. Now, I don't know about you, but certain weeks, I need to be reminded that this isn't it, that there is more that God has for me. And I think you probably need to feel that too and know that too. The Holy Spirit connects our future with our present. Wow. Look what Jeremiah 29 says. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a, <laughs> what is that? Future and a hope. Wow. So in response to all of my insecurities in life, God desires for me to feel secure in him. That's what he's going for. He wants me to feel secure in him, secure in his love, secure in the future that he has for me, secure in his power, secure in the life that he wants to give. Everything else in my life may be completely unstable. It may be completely out of control. It may feel like I'm out on the ledge of a 40-story building in an unpredictable wind, and I'm losing my balance, and I feel like I'm going to fall, and I'm totally insecure. But God has made a promise to me with the Holy Spirit. God has given me the engagement ring of the Holy Spirit because God desires for me me to feel secure in him, to know that he loves me, to know that I have a future with him. Security is something we desperately need, and it is something that God desires to give us through the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads? Father, today, we need to get this. All of us in this room struggle with insecurity in life. And it's in different ways, in different areas of our life. It's to different degrees, different levels, all of, all of this. But we struggle with this. 
today, we need to know. We need to know your love. We need to know the future that you have for us. We need to know this.